This week's episode is brought to you by the Film Rescue Show. The Film Rescue Show is a long-form podcast in which their crew and a guest fix a film every week. Want a good first episode? Check out episode 89 with Axel and myself, where he pitched fixes for the League of Extraordinary Drummond. Still waiting on that call, Warner Brothers. For fans of filmmaking, writing, and behind-the-scenes content, check out the Film Rescue Show on all your favorite podcasting sites today. Welcome to Geeks with Shields, your home for all things good and nerdy in this, the darkest timeline. I'm Lurk Commander Orc, and with me as always is... His shield brother, Axel Wright. How's it going today, man? Tired. Very, very tired. Yeah, you sound it. Yeah, well, I literally sat down, uh, just like last week, I sat down 20 minutes ago, finally got home, and and I still haven't done all the stuff I need to do when I get home, like put away my my gym clothes and and whatnot so i was just like yeah i'll I'll deal with it later (laughs) how are you doing i'm out of booze and when i say i'm out of booze it's not that i don't have alcohol i don't have alcohol that i want to drink ah you poor poor man i know i'm having real you know me problems i'm like i got all this alcohol but not the one i want to drink damn it well why don't we move on to verbal alcohol then but before we get to that i think you have a privilege you get to do i'm just gonna let skate by that terrible terrible metaphor and do our patrons sound off yeah uh our patrons are pam galley marquee chris chipman river galley krug arthur crane kevin Bay, brendan eggy john vills kit kenny seth decker dona lucy patrick anderson carson l scott Ruman, Derek Kenny, and peter cook if you'd like to join the illustrious legion, head over to patreon.com forward slash geeks with shields. For as little as 25 cents an episode, a dollar a month, you can guarantee that we keep providing such top-notch quality such as this. Of course. And today we are joined by a guest, an illustrious guest. Go ahead and introduce yourself. I'm the pitchmaster general and back on the show. Seth Decker is here to talk about uh just a childhood hero. I'm I'm so honored that you guys invited me on for this episode because like I, I'm staring at an Indiana Jones poster. You know, like I'm that guy. Of course, I I know that I I always get a kick out of watching your and Ulrich's interactions on Twitter. So <laughs> <laughs> take that to the interactive level here. Well, I guess right. it's already interactive. My brain's operating at like thirty percent. I'm working on bringing it up. Okay, but it's gonna take me a bit. <laughs> Listen, it's I... the end of the day. No one's brains at full capacity. <laughs> yeah, I, no, I, I smacked, uh, smoked a fat J before jumping on here, so let's see what happens. We are a quality podcast, folks. <laughs> yeah, now, correct me if I'm wrong, Ulrich, but is this a is this a Pillars? No, this is a Good, the Bad, the Franchise. Oh, the Good, the Bad, and the Franchise. All right, I couldn't recognize the acronym. So, all right, so we have done this a couple times before, the Good, the Bad, and the Franchise, which is it's like a Pillar thing, but it's a little different. It's basically just a, we bring on a guest, they choose a franchise of some sort, and we do a, a walkthrough of that franchise. and Talk yep. about the Good, the Bad, and the Franchise overall. And, if everything works out, this should be following a brand new entry into Indiana Jones, that hopefully is good. Please be good. Fingers please, crossed. Please yeah. be just okay. The bar uh, is set really low. I was trying to think of like a, a funny segue of like put the put the Nazi before the helicopter blade, you know, version of <laughs> cart before the horse, but I couldn't think of it in time. So anyway, yeah, Seth has chosen Indiana Jones. So here we are talking about Indiana Jones. Hell yeah. All right. Well then, Seth, because it is your, you know, your franchise and you're our guest, 
why don't you start us off with uh, basically wherever you want to start? What, what do you think? Yeah, so so we're in a we're in a weird place right now, like you said, with a movie coming right ahead of us that none of us have seen yet. Um, and then the franchise itself is kind of sitting in a and always in an odd teetering place. It feels I I never I never know what's going to happen day to day when I when I see Indiana Jones news. So I just try to take it all in stride. You know what I mean? I honestly thought we were never going to see Dial of Destiny because that's been in production for fucking ever uh, like the I, I remember it having like a projected 2020s year and thinking that's so far away i can't even think about it it was like 2016 or something like that i was like god damn that is so far from now i can't think about 2023 and then just kept getting delayed and not happening i'm like they're not gonna do it harrison ford's too old this is not a franchise that is you know done well just, i've just heard i've heard two reviews of it so far that were spoiler free reviews that both said better than skull but not as good as the you know the the, the good ones like the really yeah. good ones so like, they, you know what that's part. fine i admittedly uh, i don't know how to get ahead of this but i don't think Crimson came across the skull is terrible i don't particularly like it but i i remember thinking that the hatred for it was seemingly way overblown mm. but i'm also the guy who thinks temple of doom is not great either so i was like king of crystal skull temple of doom kind of the same to me whereas you know raiders oh, and crusade oh. are fucking amazing <laughs> all right do you have smoke for that i'm gonna have to defend temple of doom and i don't want to <laughs> oh no i'll t- i'll try to help I-, I i'll dance around the middle of it all right, like any not... good guest would let's let's jump right in with talking about how we each came to raiders that feels like a good basic Start of the franchise. All right, let's let Seth, you go first. You know, I um, wasn't introduced through Raiders. You know, me neither, actually. Uh, so actually, the, the, the backstory to my Indiana Jones adventure is I met Indiana Jones on the PC. I met him in a, in a click text-based adventure for Last Crusade. And so that was my, like, introduction to the franchise. And then my friend is, like, telling me, oh, there's a movie to go along with this. Like, and so, like Monkey Island or something, but for Indiana Jones? Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> like, literally exactly huh. like that. Um, and it, it was it was on uh, floppy disks. Yep, as all good games used to be. We'll, we'll see how that lands with your audience. Yeah, it was that kind of game. So so the, I, I actually saw Last Crusade first, loved it, just absolutely adored it, and then uh, was introduced to Raiders shortly thereafter and then saw Temple of Doom, I think, was a little bit later on because my parents thought it was too risque for me to see until I was 13. You know, funny <laughs> enough, my path is almost exactly the same, just without the game part. I started with Crusade, then watched Raiders and Temple. And, of course, I saw Skull in theaters when it came out. Yeah, no, honestly, anytime I tell the, like, the OG origin story, everyone's like, I didn't even know games existed for it back then. Um, and oh. so I like just a weird way to get into the franchise, but that was my in. And, and, and that I think really kind of is a testament to the game that it's engaging enough that like, I recognize the, the power of the franchise within the game, at least, by the way, to anyone listening, normally when it comes to these kind of topics, I like to give like a short breakdown of whatever the thing is. But I honestly don't believe you could be listening to this and not at least know what Indiana Jones is. I don't believe that person yeah. exists. Well, we're I also going to talk around the whole idea of Indiana Jones because we have to discuss the franchise. Yeah. So Pe- if you don't know, you're going to know by the end. Yeah, but people who live, like, outside of civilization probably know who Indiana Jones is. Yeah, he showed up and stole their shit. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> no, this is what Sorry, it belongs in a museum. 
the fuck? What do you want? What? No, get back here with that fucker. <laughs> All right, so Ulrich, we both started with Last Crusade then. Where'd you start? Yeah. I started with uh, Raiders, actually. There you go. Uh, growing up, for the longest time, we did not have TV at the house. We had a giant box of VHS. There you go. And one of those VHSs was Raiders, and all I knew was it had the guys from the army movies that, you know, they meant there were tanks and shit, and there was a guy with a cool whip and a rock, and the ending terrified. You know what's funny? I, I had, sidebar, I had the milk crate full of VHS as well, but it was almost all Godzilla movies. <laughs> uh, mine was a banana box. Mm. Anyway, go on. <laughs> and yeah, so it had all the things little four-year-old brain clicked with, military vehicles, action terrifying shit at the ending and it was years I, like i was like i think 10 before i discovered there were temple of doom and last Crusade. there was more to it yeah like, oh i just thought this was a one standalone movie wow wow that's so cool like it, and to jump in at that age and still recognize like what it was that's so like integral to the to your, probably to your movie experience as oh, yeah, a no. as a it, movie it watcher all the little things my kid brain wanted does it have military vehicles or anything in it? Is there action? Is it kind of scary? If it has any of those three, my little four-year-old brain's like, I can play army guys and look up occasionally. Oh, here's the scene where the, he fights the big dude. Yeah. Yeah. I was probably uh, probably seven or eight when I first saw Last Crusade. I remember mostly the music being what kept me invested at that point. <laughs> John Williams has a direct bead into the middle of every human being's brain that he can just inform you exactly what is happening with music. It's insane. It's such a skill. Yeah. I mean, uh, personally, like, John Williams is basically inarguably the the most well-known and probably the best film composer. And considering that in modern setting, film composition is basically the only thing equivalent to, like, what is old-school composers. Yes, I know there are actual real old-school composers, but they don't reach audiences the same way that Beethoven and Mozart and you know, those people reached in the day. Now it's film composers mm. who reach people. And John Williams is kind of king. And Indiana Jones is probably the third or fourth best one he made in his massive career. Like He's got bunch of big hits yeah so. really only like because i think i think star wars as a score is probably his best superman is probably his best single piece mm. and and indiana jones is like right there it's just such a fucking good movie inarguably like uh, there aren't many movies that i am um so diehard of a fan that i would like literally defend every single frame in it raiders is one of those films where like i would i would take a beating for every frame of the movie i just i love every inch of film in that movie i, I it's my desert island pick if i could take one movie to a desert island it would be raiders on repeat and and i would like drive myself insane torture <laughs> myself with it well just just to have that you know i i love it as much. a note about raiders even though as a movie i like last crusade more personally oh it's, it's a better blockbuster 100 yeah. percent. you're, you're but, right but anyone who has listened to us for a long time knows that way you know a couple years ago when we did our very first director smackdown it was a steven spielberg where we had the chippa on and spoiler it the thing we chose as steven spielberg's quintessential film was Raiders of the Last Ark. Not his best film necessarily, but the one that is most him. And Raiders, to me, is kind of not the perfect adventure film, but a perfect 
adventure film if that makes yeah. sense oh absolutely it, it, and it's it's the blueprint like you can't make an adventure film without even accidentally doing some kind of indiana jones which is funny because indiana jones itself and I, i'm not like breaking any new ground here this is pretty well known but indiana jones itself was already extremely derivative of the pulp stories that lucas was pulling from and i mean that in a positive way like he was basically bringing like those old school short stories that were in magazines to a massive blockbuster. Yeah. That's exactly what it was. Fun fact. Did you know what uh, Indiana Jones's original name was? No. Uh, I think I've heard this before, but I don't remember. It was going to be Indiana Smith. Smith. And huh? I, I'm blanking on who wrote the screenplay, but he told them, no, that don't do that. That's bad. Come up with something better. <laughs> All right. No one will root for a hero named Indiana Smith. That just that doesn't fit with what you want here. Okay, so so Seth, let's starting with Raiders. Overall thoughts, particular things you like to point out, things that stick in your mind specifically. You've mentioned it's your island movie. What like details about it stick out to you as a film, though? <coughs> Pardon me. Um, yeah. So I think the 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 reason that I love to show it off to people is um, to, I, I like to talk about how films are made and specifically the process that Spielberg was using on this film and and basically the way that it uh, gets to look so fresh and good uh, today is based on the kind of film stock that they shot onto and then their lighting. This is a movie that is like, uh, even if on the shittiest of TV settings, Raiders is going to look perfect. It is, it is, a, it is a such a meticulously uh, color graded and like, film processed film that uh, every time we get a re-release especially like a like a 4k from from those original um screenings that we're it's just it, it is so obvious how much absolute talent is on display from that time like we are looking at the equivalent today of like when people freak out about chris nolan shooting on those big ass red cameras like that kind of nerddom worshiping chris nolan for what he can do with the technology that's what spielberg's doing back here um so like even beyond just the the fact that it's a, a, an almost perfect story uh even i and i i love the argument that if you remove indiana jones from from the film that um it doesn't change the plot which is like <laughs> it's not true it's a great little anecdote i love how like smarmy it is but it's it's not well i'm reading I remember reading the like <laughs> articles about that years ago where it's not that it changed it's not that it doesn't change the plot it's that it changes the plot in a more positive manner because if theoretically the arc got taken all the way to Hitler before it got opened <laughs> Oh, I've never heard that version of it. That's, that's what a, I read. Yeah, that's an interesting. Well, th that wouldn't have happened though, because uh, the the Nazi leaders were taking it for themselves anyways. Oh, oh I I agree. I'm just saying him. I read one interpretation that talked about how that could have been the way it went down. Well, so. in the movie, Jones convinces him like, "Well, don't you want to open it? And make sure you're not taking the Fuhrer back a box of sand." Oh, that's right. He does. He does kind of sway them there too. Because even he kind of wants to know. It's like, well, is it really real? Yeah. Yeah. So maybe that was again. It's been years since I read that article, but I remember it talking about like if if Indy wasn't in this, the art the art would have been taken to Germany and would have killed all of the Nazi leadership. Yeah, and I don't hate that one so much as I recognize it as it's a symptom of how we consume media. Of, yeah. <laughs> well, everything has to serve this purpose, and 
or assume because there's plot holes and other dumb shit that doesn't really matter that we pretend matters because like ha i understand films and yeah. therefore well, i am very smart speaking of what you just said i want to take a quick digression to be like i mentioned lucas earlier for anyone who doesn't know the story was actually written by george lucas as well as uh, philip kaufman mm-hmm. and you know directed by steven spielberg but so these three names involved i i know kaufman's name i know he's doing a lot of other stuff i the name just but anyway, I have never done the, the one-to-one mapping of Raiders to uh, Joseph Campbell. I bet it lines up perfectly, like, in I can hear it in my head. So, yeah, the overt, like, film criticism stuff and the, 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 the cinema sins t- type of criticism, no <laughs> offense to those people, but don't need any of that here. It's a, it's a ridiculously fun adventure movie structured extremely tightly, buoyed by great music and a wonderful lead performance. Yeah, that's why this movie works. Yeah. Is it's fun. And it's why the internet is the internet. But fun story about the writing of this. Basically, Lucas and Spielberg went on vacation together, pitched the movie back and forth, and then brought Kaufman in. And then they just told him their ideas for the movie and said, okay, now tie it all together with script. Okay? Oh. And that's how we get Raiders. Also, it is the second time. Like, Harrison Ford actually had a pretty crazy career in the 80s. He did a lot of like yeah. action films that have largely been forgotten for weird reasons. So you could say it's it's pretty obvious his two most well-known roles are Han Solo and Indiana Jones, both of which the casting director really didn't want to pick him for. Yeah, isn't that crazy? Yeah, yeah. who wants to share the fun fact of who was originally going to play Indiana Jones? I have, wasn't it originally supposed to be Sean Connery because it was supposed to be the American James Bond, essentially? That was one of them, but Sean Connery was too expensive. Yeah, mm. but then you get him back later for Indy's dad, which is cool. The, I, oh, it, it, perfect. Just perfect. The original one, like up to and including, they have pictures of him in the outfit was Tom Selleck. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I've seen that. That's right. Hm. Yeah, it was going to be Tom Selleck. And I don't know why Tom Selleck fell through, but I think they just kind of picked up Harrison Ford because he was friends with Lucas. And it's like, well... You know, you already did this Star Wars thing. Come do this thing for me. It was it was his shooting schedule with Magnum PI at the at the time. He was ah, uh, he was no. yeah, he was just way too necessary. And then Disney starts riffing on that with Chip and Dale. Yeah, it makes Chip yep. and Dale even funnier. Yeah. But when I think of Raiders in my head, it has a for lack of a better term, it has a Christmas story thing going on in my head where it feels like a set of vignettes that are loosely connected, yep. which are kind of like the you know, short stories that they are inspired by, like, oh, the opening sequence with the the boulder, which is just super famous at this point, and the sand thing right in my head. Then I see him teaching at college and the, the girl with the message on her eyes, which always <laughs> makes me laugh, and conversation with dude who convinces him to go hunting for stuff, go find Marion, who's having the great drinking contest, and then there's, like... I admit my, my brain starts to get fuzzy in the middle, basically, until they reach the point where he digs in and gets to the the miniature Egypt model thing and does his, his staff bit, and then we basically move into the ending. So, like, there is an area in the middle where I kind of fuzz, but for the most part, it's just these this set of really good vignettes. Yeah, I recently rewatched it, and it's kind of how it bounces along. Like, I'm amazed at how well-paced this is. Yeah. And it really is bum, 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 action, bum, 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 action, bum, 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 action. And it just all kind of flows together continuously, which I think back of, this is why it worked for four-year-old me, is like, it doesn't really slow down at any point. 
you yeah. lose interest. And if you do, it's okay because you come back and it's got something else going for you. And you know what I love about Indy as a protagonist that's right there in the first movie? He's extraordinarily lucky, but outside of that, he's not that crazy of like a specialist dude. Like he gets beat up a lot. Yeah. <laughs> he's a college professor. That's like the best bit about this. I'm watching like he gets his shit rocked and like, well, yeah. He's an amateur adventurer, but he's a professor most of the time. Right. Yeah, and that's the kind of, I don't know, it's the kind of, like, easy fix to make your protagonist super relatable, where it's like, oh, yeah, I'd get beaten up by the giant Nazi, too. <laughs> yeah, no, it's one of those things I know it's like, we wouldn't have this today because every action star has a writer of, no, no, I can't get punched in the face. I have to win all my fights. Yeah. You know, Harrison Ford's getting drugged behind a truck after he got kicked out for the second time. Well, and, and that's something I bring up often and around like these kind of superhero movie action movie archetypes is the I'm so badass I walk away from explosions is everybody's fucking attitude and I love the Indiana Jones attitude of like we cut to him kind of wiping his brow and like shoo I almost didn't make it out of that one like he's got such a realness to him in in these like the, the setups and payoffs of these uh, Ulrich, you're saying these well-paced action sequences. The payoff is often he is wiping his brow at the same time as the audience going, wow, we all just made it through that one. Like, it's such an invitation into the movie for him to be real. Because if he's just walking away from explosions, not to put too fine a pun on Kingdom of the Crystal Skull, but, you know, if he's just walking away from explosions, it's not as interesting as this guy that can get beat up. You know, he, he can get knocked out and taken hostage he, like he is he is fallible because he's a, he's a man he's not a superhero yeah. and also with harrison ford specifically playing him and i feel like this was less true back then but i think there's a grain of it there's this indication in interviews with the man that he kind of is just a grumpy dude and oh, i don't it's not even an indication it's just front and center yeah i don't mean that positively or negatively he just seems to have this almost disdain for a <laughs> lot of things and, yes. and it doesn't come through in Star Wars because Han Solo is, like, so freely uh, amicable. But uh, but Indy, it's like they let it kind of come through with that. He's just annoyed at how difficult everything has to be for seemingly no reason. Yeah. Again, college professor, this is not the shit he's supposed to be doing. And last thing's last on this is it's why that big Nazi fight works so well. Ooh. Is you see that dude and you go, oh, fuck, I get my shit rocked. And as we're watching Indy lose, I'm like, oh, that, that tracks him. Oh, fuck, he's, how's he going to get out of this? And it's pure universe intervention. And, oh, yeah. Uh, the dude gets mulched by a propeller blade. And uh, there was no way in hell Indy was winning that fight. Yeah. And my last thing I'll say about Raiders is that if I was compiling a list of, like, my ten favorite scenes of all time, I don't know where it would be, but him shooting the sword guy would be on that list. Oh, yeah. And that's, it works as a great callback because he reaches, you know, he goes to shoot the not, giant knots and like, oh, can't do that trick twice. Right. Yep. Yeah, you only get it once and you use that one up, buddy. Anyway, Seth, you got any final thoughts on Raiders before we move on? Uh, No, I just say it's, it's perfect. Oh, my God. Please bury me with a copy of this. <laughs> <laughs> okay, Temple of Doom. So I I don't want I don't feel interested in really being super negative in this discussion right now because I prefer positive discussions. I will say sure. that when I was younger, I was way more into Temple of Doom for 
you know, just the crazy stuff that happens in general. Yeah, because stuff. Yeah, Temple of Doom is just filled with insane things. And it was only when I got older and I started, like, thinking about implications and decisions that were being made mm-hmm. that I, I personally don't care for Temple of Doom. I don't think it's, like, horrible. I just, I don't watch it, <laughs> personally. So, that's all. <laughs> it's an angry movie made by two very angry men, unfortunately. And that and that makes it kind of dark. Um, I, I have a lot about it that I like. I'm not like I, I I understand there's a there's a lot to to tiptoe around with it, but there's there's a lot in it that was very formative for me as a as a kid watching this because I was a teenager uh, when I was finally able to watch this. But I'm I'm talking about a a homeschooled teenager with no real like real world idea of what is happening here. So the there was a a, a huge cultural disconnect between me and the film. So I'm enjoying it as just like a weird, dark, pulpy movie uh, a lot as a kid. And and then there's like a really, really sexy section right in the middle of it for a teen brain to just kind of go, hey, this is something that you like and is important to you. <laughs> yeah. you know I mean? and, and then it's getting paired up with like not only jokes, but also like a, a really high stakes death scene where like Indy almost gets murdered and that's just stuffed right in the middle of this this dark pulp adventure and so my teenage brain is just like exploding it opens on an on a extended double action sequence although that and, o- that open sequence is definitely a James Bond riff more so than anything in Raiders was that's 100% what it was cuz like fine if we can't get you know do Bond cuz I guess originally they wanted to do a Bond movie like Lewis wanted to do a Bond movie yo yeah Spielberg has rights. wanted to do Bond forever Ah, the broccolis are dicks. Mm-hmm. I will, yeah, I will that... say that of the many things that people pointed out in hindsight don't work, one that I don't necessarily agree with, I like Short Round. I like Kehi Kwan. I've always Bro. liked Kehi Kwan. <laughs> he he has nothing but positive things to say about the that filming experience, you know? Like, he, even now, even today, like, he's like, no, don't, like, go back and, and be angry about this. Like, that was a fucking yeah. awesome role. I loved doing it. Like, uh, it got... Yeah, it just, short round rocks. What yeah. a great character! Like I'm not gonna front and pretend that I knew Kehi Kwan's name before everything ever all at once. I'm not gonna lie about that. I'm just saying that short round was not one of my problems with Temple of Doom. No, it's. I mean, let's talk about the elephant in the room. No pun intended. It's racist <laughs> as fuck. Yeah, pretty much. But I think again, that's really an artifact of it being adapted from largely racist material. Oh yeah, it's again. It's a true pulp one of like, well, of course these Indian people eat monkey brains and snakes and gross stuff. Honestly, it's a very, it's a very King Solomon's Mines kind yes. of uh, kind of racism. It's like, oh no, me, the advanced white man, understands that this is brutish. Yeah, it's it's very wrong-headed that way. Yeah, and I and I yeah. personally, because yeah, the racism is bad. The monkey brain scene is egregious. But honestly, I, I've seen. You know, I watch like old, like Road to Bali and stuff. So I've I've seen stuff like that. I, the thing that really kills the movie for me personally is the lead actress whose name I don't know. And really, I can't that's... stand every scene with her. But again, that's me. She was given no direction except just scream and be out of place. Which I'm not claiming is her fault. I'm just talking about again, the end this result. This was a angry movie by made by angry men. All right, I feel I've talked enough negative. I want to hear the positive <laughs> things from you guys about it. <laughs> there, There is nothing that I loved more as a kid than the shot that cuts from Indiana Jones beating the fuck out of that one slave driver while Short Round is beating the fuck out of that kid. Yeah. That, 
that what I don't know what it was that was so empowering about like beating somebody up with your dad. That, <laughs> is that just a male experience thing? I'm not sure. I just Probably. that every time I see it, I watched it recently, and I was like, hell yeah, beat the fuck out of this guy. Just uh, going to town on him. So what a what a extravagant final set piece there too. Yeah, and like the other movies in this franchise, has great set pieces, has great sets. I mean, the fucking bridge scene's iconic for a reason. Mm. Yeah. I admit, I have a very strong image in my head of, of Harrison Ford slowly raising the machete as he's about to cut the bridge. Yeah. Great shot. Oh, Tell my God. Tell I'll see you in hell. Well, and, like, so much going on in, in something like that where there's literal tension on the tension bridge and he's about to literally cut the tension. Like, that, it, it is such, like, direct visual storytelling you could you could watch almost any indiana jones with the sound off and understand what's going on oh and a quick sidebar before i forget people have been saying this for about a year at this point but now that keiki kwan is is back i wouldn't mind seeing a quote-unquote indiana jones movie with him as the main character now with i know we didn't get an actual name for him back in that but we could give it to him now and let him be an adventurer i'm just saying i'd watch that Listen, I pitched exactly that movie on the Film Rescue Show. If you look up Indiana Jones and the Temple of or the Tomb of the Blue Demon, that's what I called it. Ooh, I'm on. It's I'm exactly on board. that pitch. Short round gets the front seat. I think it's a great idea. Totally on board. All right, let's go back to a positive one. Last Crusade. Oh, oh, this one's got a tank chase. So here's what I'll say <laughs> real quick. When I say that I think I like Last Crusade more, but I think Raiders is like maybe a better of what it is. The stuff in Last Crusade I like, I just like more. I think the interaction between Indy and his father is brilliant. I like the whole Grail quest concept because I, when I was a kid, I had an understanding of what the Grail was. I didn't really get what the Ark of the Covenant was and Mm -hmm. has like the whole night quest thing. So it's got this kind of medieval vibe to it. But I also acknowledge that Last Crusade is also paced less perfectly. It's It's just yeah. kind of bloated. And again, I love it, but compared to Raiders, like there are plenty of other movies that in the comparison they'd come off much better, but compared to its own predecessor, it feels slower. Does that make sense? Oh no, there's there's so much more movie to this movie. Like th- there's just so much more stuffed in. I, I think it's like a full almost twenty minutes longer too. Yeah, I, I I totally feel you there, and and that was like a product of the end of the '80s too. They were going ham with all of these like actors becoming mega stars, and and so movies were just getting stuffed. Like I we just did Scarface recently on Split the Difference, and like they just let Al Pacino go, yeah, they just go. Better or worse. <laughs> yeah, honestly, no, exactly. Al Pacino is best when you just let him go. Though he makes, even if the movie's bad, he'll make a good scene. See that that one where he's the devil. <laughs> yeah, 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 and like every uh, something I forgot until watching Crusade recently. Every single like set piece is longer too. Like we we spend more time in that blimp than I remember. I re- I remembered the blimp being like they get on board, they get into a, a and. and the airplane and they get out like that's how i recalled it and there's like a whole father-son exchange like there's Mm -hmm. there's entire scenes strung into kind of every little location and 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 it's to its advantage you know harrison ford and sean connery are cutting it up like have you seen a better father-son pairing in a while in a film so fun fact about the blimp scene neither of them are wearing pants during that entire scene i love that didn't know that it was too damn hot and sean connery was like i suggest we take our pants off 
because no one's going to see it. And if we don't, I'm going to sweat myself to death. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I love I love those set stories. Those are because uh, I, I know what that looks like. That looks like probably two hours of sitting in pants and yep. then taking the pants off. I, I will say I, that while there are many things in Last Crusade that I like, the tank chase at the end is probably my favorite vehicle chase of any kind in any movie. Tank chase. I mean. Yeah, but it's also, they, it's hard to explain because it's not going very fast, but the tension is so perfect, the music is perfect, fighting on top yeah. of the tank, the boulder, like how, where the camera is, getting the little bits inside. The t- it's just a perfect, like the only thing I can think of to maybe match it is the is the martial arts battle during a car chase from the Raid 2, but Ooh. but like that's it, maybe. <laughs> yeah, no, like they, they really had to one-up the, um, the truck chase from Raiders. That was because they hadn't done a chase really in Temple of Doom. The minecart sequence—I don't care if if someone's going to defend that as a chase. Be my guest. But, <laughs> Roller coaster uh, fight. But... Listen, I don't I don't see it that way. They had to one up it, and so the fact that they went Looney Tunes and said, "There's a cliff at the end of this." Like, <laughs> there's a cliff at the end of this. That's where the tension comes from. Like every time I watch it, knowing, oh, that's right. They they backwards set it up that every time you watch it, you remember there's a cliff, so you know it's building towards something. Yeah. No. The interesting thing about Last Crusade is Spielberg didn't want to do this one after the reception they got from Temple of Doom. Yeah. And Lucas was like, no, we need to close out the trilogy. We need to do this. And Spielberg was like, fine, but it's the last one I'm fucking doing. Ha! <laughs> and again, go look up like all the back and forth of various pitches that came up. Like uh, Lucas really wanted to do a ghost story set in Scotland. And Spielberg was like, we already did ghosts. I don't want to do ghosts again. Mm. Oh, that does remind me real quick. One of the things about Raiders that, or not Raiders, sorry, Crusade, that I both love and also have a weird, strange kind of interaction with is the entire opening sequence. Because I adore it, but it's, what, 15 minutes of of Young oh, Indy? Yeah, Young Indy is the... Uh... The, the really like fatty additive uh, short film stuck on here. Like it's it's excellently it made. It's excellently made. I don't know if it's entirely necessary. Yeah. Well, this movie is packed with that because this is the last big fireworks show. We're done. Let's get all the ideas we've ever wanted to do in here. Let's go bigger. Let's go greater. Let's go bolder. Harrison yeah. Ford isn't going to well, do also, this again. I want to give credit to that. It's a big spectacle. Yeah, and I want to give credit to that kid because when you have someone playing a young version of an established character, you can get away with it without them mad- mattering if the scene is short. But he has to play young Indy for 15 minutes, and he does yeah. a very good job of it. I don't know. He's got so, lines and shit. Like yeah. he's got he's got range that he has to show off there. It's kind of crazy. That's uh, River Phoenix. Yes, it was. Uh, R.I.P. Yeah. No, apparently he prepped for the role by watching all of Harrison Ford's movies and memorizing his mannerisms. He got it pretty well. It's like, that's a dedication to a 15-minute scene that's really impressive. And it shows. Because, like, this should be stupid. Like, we're getting all of his explanation at once in a big shotgun blast. Like, this should be dumb. And instead we're like, okay, this is actually pretty cool. Yeah, I mean, just on paper, think about... 
fight on top of zoo train. That is a brilliant sentence. <laughs> oh, and it's a fight inception too. You're inside of another set piece while you're watching that because it cuts to him in the future on a ship in the middle of a fight. Like you're not out yet. It's so cool the way they just like keep hitting you with these like just adrenaline hits and then pull the brakes and adrenaline hits and then pull. Oh, I love it. Also, we gotta talk at- about the Sean Connery of it all. Well, yeah, but before we that, I also will say that it, it was this movie, too, that made me realize that Harrison Ford, at the time anyway, and I'm trying to think of other people who do this very well, he was the king to me of, like, I don't want to use the word grizzled because that feels pedestrian, but the, I'm a badass, but I'm old and fucking over it, but I'm still, mm. like, I still kick your ass. Like, yeah. I don't know, I've seen some other actors do it since then, especially actors who were young action stars first, but it's hard to explain. I just think Harrison Ford hits that particular vibe better than basically everyone. Yeah. Now, as for Sean Connery, yeah, what's really funny is that I watched a number of, like, the original Bond, I think the, like, the original two or three Bond movies I watched on loop when I was young, even though now I couldn't tell you most of the things that happened in them. <laughs> Goldfinger has a golden naked lady. <laughs> but my point That's is that... That's all my primitive brain recalls. There's a naked golden lady in Goldfinger. Well, it's funny because Sean Connery is, in a sense, playing against type. Because yes. you bring in He's Sean Connery... Yeah, you oh, bring in yeah. Sean Connery, and you're, at that point especially, you're expecting James Bond, and he's playing essentially the guy that Indiana... St- people like would think he is just from his job not knowing what he actually is is kind mm. of the point he's the upset he's just the a professor he's obsessed with study and latin and all that stuff yeah he's an academic when it's action time he's never practiced that he's not the adventure guy that indiana jones turned out to be i also i, I know it's it's kind of cartoonish and goofy, but the fact that he has his own specific animal fear that's separate from Indies just makes me yeah, smile. Yeah. Well, it's, it's, this is impressive because it's Sean Connery giving like a really good performance near the end of his career where he was harder and harder to get that out of him. Yeah. Is it, and he's, is he's it just unfair, like along for the ride. Is it unfair to compare him to Brando when it comes to that kind of thing? Oh, not at all. It's that same, didn't go as over the top insane as Brando, but it's that same era of hollywood star yeah 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 i just know that brando became notoriously difficult to work with despite still putting out like apocalypse now performances so brando was doing shit since godfather like he refused to learn his lines in godfather yeah well that's the same in apocalypse now apparently he just ad-libbed the whole grocery store clerk thing but yeah brando was crazy yeah. Well, and like when I hear stories like that where where actors are refusing to memorize lines, sometimes that gets turned into the actor's fault when it can be the director. Uh, if an actor recognizes a director is just going to feed them lines on set anyways, there's no point to learn your lines, right? So that can be frustrating for crew to watch basically a director feed an actor lines, but sometimes that's how you get the performances you get. So I, I, I say that just to like say, take that with a grain of salt. I, maybe it's not a, a full character flaw. It could be a lot of things in play when, when, well, when shit like that happens. That I'm betting is more what Sean Connery probably was like. Based on what interviews I've read with Sean Connery, he came from a very old school sensibility when it came to scripts, which is why he passed on Lord of the Rings and why he said yes to League of Extraordinary Gentlemen because he just basically didn't understand what he was was reading for either of them. Whereas, Whereas, like, Brando at one point thought that Superman's dad should be a talking bagel, so he was just insane. Something, Brando wasn't on the level near the end. 
or maybe at any point. But the Godfather story is, I'm pretty sure it's uh, Robert Duvall is wearing sandwich boards with Brando's lines on his chest. <laughs> yeah, Godfather, I've heard that story. Holy shit, the stories between Godfather, it's amazing that movie works as well as it does because that set was nothing but nightmares because it was a bunch of goddamn divas. Anyway, yeah. though, Sean Connery, I have a weird personal... Uh, like, He's complicated. Yeah, my <laughs> thought process in regards to Sean Connery is hard because I'm an old-school James Bond fan. I love those first five movies, even though I don't remember them. It's more like a child. I'm kind of scared to go back to them at this point, even though I know Dr. No apparently holds up very well. A bunch of them still look and feel great. They're, like, really quality-made films. Yeah, I just love the concept of Sean Connery's James Bond a lot. And then it turns out that Sean Connery was a very difficult person in reality. For a number of reasons, and the <laughs> Scottish man who you know of the fifties is difficult. You don't say. Yeah, yeah, a, and a hard Scott. And there are yeah. lines like I've talked with people about like it, 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 you have to draw your own individual lines. And when it becomes, I have a friend who will not watch the Bad Max movies. Period, because of Mel Gibson. And yeah, and I even get though it. I get it, and even though I love the Road Warrior and Thunderdome, and I tolerate the original Mad Max, <laughs> I. <laughs> I understand where he's coming from, and I don't push back on that at all. And uh, I'm I'm there currently with Kevin Spacey stuff because I you know I love a bunch I love things like Seven and whatnot, but I can't really watch stuff with Seven's Kevin Spacey. Seven's a rough watch now because almost everyone in that's a piece of shit. Yeah, but I'm just <laughs> saying, especially Kevin Spacey is. Oh yeah, it's just like Jesus Christ, this is a trifecta of bad. And so Sean Connery yeah. has a similar thing where like i'm trying very hard not to let my personal things get and i and i can manage it for for crusade and his performance in crusade i think part of it is his performance in crusade is so for lack of a better term innocent like he's playing you know your movie dad essentially yeah, he's, he's, a, yeah. I, he's playing my grandfather and very much i can go oh yeah no any of the bad shit about sean connery also applies to one of my grandfathers so it's like you know what it's 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 one to one. He wasn't an <laughs> academic, but you know, he was kind of a piece of now, shit. So because I adore Crusade, I I feel like I might have stomped on both of you in regards to talking about this movie. So uh, Seth, do you have any more stuff specifically you want to talk about Crusade? No, no, I I uh, Crusade. Did we we uh, I no I touched on the blimp thing no that that was kind of like my the whole movie is um like the it's like the super vignette right you're just kind of moving from from piece to piece to piece with just enough time to breathe and realize that they are still feeding you an amazing father son story um so then the the finale and the payoff there uh, I remember the first time as a kid uh seeing that finale and like the floors splitting and it being feeling like this act of God thing um and and they still ride off into the sunset right so like this the it felt like the series had had wrapped up this kind of spiritual story as i had finally finished the whole trilogy um that was kind of saying like you know all this stuff really is out there but um as long as you like stick to your guns and try to be the good guy you'll turn out okay and i think that it just to touch on dial of destiny that's what i'm hoping for yeah. um in this in this last one i james mangold if he can touch in on that kind of like there is magic in this Indiana Jones world, but it, it there's only just enough of it for the end of a movie. But I, speaking, I love that feeling. Speaking real quick about the end of the Last Crusade, there's something specific that is really hard for me to get words out about, which is the the moment of they would not be made out of 
gold or silver, there is the cup of a carpenter. Yeah. It, it, it's, it's means a lot to me more than I think it actually means to a lot of people. And I, it's hard for me to put into words why. Like, I'd, I'd seen depictions of the Grail to that point before, and they're always, you know, the big, gold, ostentatious thing. And yeah. so this decision on the surface felt like a great subversion of expectation. It felt like a great way of like, hey, let's take this little bit about, you know, the figure of Jesus and take the logical conclusion from it. And I'm not Christian at all, but the something about that idea of like, this is, to my mind, what this franchise has said is the most powerful artifact in existence. Mm. And it looks like a humble, unassuming thing. Yeah. That instilled in me something really hard to put into words like ideas of of modesty of humbleness of the things that are important are not always the things that look or seem important it right it, it feels like a small clever decision that actually imparts this massive message that at least to my like seven or eight year old brain that i think has literally helped shape who i am today and i just wanted to get that out there yeah yeah powerful stuff powerful stuff in the indiana jones franchise yeah so now yeah. the next thing to talk about is one that i know very little about so it's gonna be all you said which is we have the tv series the only thing i know with the tv series is that uh what's the guy's name sean patrick flannery yeah sean patrick flannery is the one who played him and i only know that because i was really into the boondock saints when i was in uh, high school right yeah no uh, young indiana things. yeah i the the I think I remember that series being at a Wonder Book and Video as a kid on VHS and picking it up uh, and like watching through it once and I've never revisited it since beyond like clips that I've seen on the internet so it's one of those like kind of wild um, uh, like it almost feels like a dream when I when I try to remember stuff from it it's so long ago um, it, it, it's it's Indiana Jones made for TV you know what I mean like it's not well lit it's it's a little ugly uh, it's all about like the passion of the characters um, and the people that are putting on the show but it's i i don't know i, I don't want to like hurt anyone's feelings but i think it's kind of i'm i'm happy when people just skip over this one uh when you talk about indiana jones it, it feels a little it feels like the flash tv show to yep. the eu <laughs> that's what it feels like it feels like comparing the flash tv show to the dceu and it's like yeah, Ooh, I that's, mean, it, that's a weird. Com uh, I don't know if you want to go with that comparison because I feel like the Flash TV show is actually a far superior adaptation of the character than the DC. Are you talking about the '90s Flash TV show? Either way, either way, honestly. No, I'm, I'm talking about the CW. Yeah, yeah. Oh, I was thinking yeah. you're talking about the Flash TV show from the '90s. Like, no, I'm saying Grant Gustin is a much it. better Flash than Ezra Miller is, so I don't think that comparison is. Apt. No, and. <laughs> And, and I listen, think a better example wrong. a better example would be like comparing Terminator 2 to the Sarah Connor Chronicles, I think. That's not okay. fair. You eat your words, sir. I'm not saying that's a negative. I'm just saying I think it's a more accurate analogy. No, no, no. You're you're yeah. definitely you're you're right on cuz that that show was kind of like a what if James Cameron's awesome crew wasn't here to shoot the material you know that's it, it feels like that uh, but like there's still heart to it so i'm not i'm not trying to shit on it it just yeah it, if it feels like a footnote i'm happy for it to be a footnote that's my opinion well thing of interesting note about the tv series is it was meant to be an educational series like kind of get kids interested in history and yeah perfect and setting for it and at one point there is an episode about a magic uh, saxophone huh cool 
And of course, Indiana Jones fights Dracula, who was a Nazi during World War One. That's just great. That Not sounds Nazi. wonderful. Just a just it was a random German officer during World War One. I, I wanted. I have no idea if the show is considered good or bad. I've never heard anyone shit on it. I've never heard anyone praise it either. It feels more like I didn't it existed. know it existed for the longest time. Like I knew it existed. I just never saw it. So I'm curious I, if like I knew there was a book series on based on Indiana Jones, but I did not know there was a TV show. If there's anyone listening who's, like, in our Discord chat and you hear this, go comment now. Tell us, you know, if you watched it, what did you think of it? Because I want, like, some opinion. I need some experiences from people who actually watched it. <laughs> yeah, this was a thing I didn't know existed. And now, like I said, people are talking about, like, there's a bunch of weird shit in there. Good for them. Yeah. No, yeah, I'm, I'm always happy to see a TV show kind of just, like, run with the material and do their own thing. Um, it just, it, it, I think I'm so protective of, like, Raiders and Last Crusade as the flavor of Indiana Jones that because this isn't exactly that, I just want to spit it out. That, that. I, I can understand that. I mean, honestly, that makes my analogy to Terminator even more accurate since T2 is so important to me. That's why, despite hearing that Sarah Connor Chronicles is really good, I avoided it for kind of the same reason you just said. I'm also I'm also like in general not a TV guy. Like I I watch a lot of TV to stay current, but there's I'm much more of a movie guy. So you're already just going to lose me in the difference in adaptation. That's a and that's a huge part of it is is you know how these stories are told. I think in, Indiana Jones is better told as a you know kind of roller coaster ride of a movie um, rather than like condensed weekly episode. You just you, you can't hit the fever pitch. It's funny I think these, because the way you put that. I'm thinking about it, and it's not easy for me because when I think of, like, my ideal interaction with passive media, if I'm being perfectly honest, I think of Star Trek Deep Space Nine, that type of television where it's hour-long, so it's like half of a movie, it's mostly episodic with a serial thing, you know, tying things together over a long period of time, and I don't see a whole lot of examples of TV like that. Things tend to be way over-serialized now. So I, yeah. So I don't know. I'm. I think that's an interesting conversation to be had there at some point. Sure. Also, the like I don't even know if you can get this streaming anywhere. Like I've never looked into. Uh, it's I, on Disney Plus now. Oh well. They just put it out alongside everything else. So if you really want to dive back in, it's waiting for you on Disney Plus. I actually I'm might check it out just for the experience. Then I'm ready. I'm ready to eat my words. I will give. Uh, I will give a an, a recent episode of an old college try and then tweet about it. Anyway, next we got. What we talked about a little bit earlier, Kingdom of the Crystal Skull, which, what was the time period from Last Crusade to, to Crystal Skull? Uh, Crystal, Crystal Skull is set in 57, Last Crusade is are you talking 1938. Time? I'm talking production time, because uh, oh, Last Crusade like was... 20 years. Skull's like 2008, 2009, and I think Last Crusade's 88, 89? Yeah, it's like 20 years. So about, it's about 20 years, okay. I mean, I want to real quick get what I think is the bad arguments against it out of the way, which is I personally <laughs> think that anyone who complains about being aliens, I think is missing the point. Like, there are problems but with aliens this Aliens are dumb, damn it! I, d- I don't think it's any dumber. they're not technically aliens. They're I don't think that aliens is any dumber than Magic Cup that grants you immortality, personally. Not it's to shut anyone's religion or anything. Fantasy, but... which is, that, that's where I'd rather divide. Like, this was all fantasy, and then you got sci-fi in my fantasy. And listen, sometimes it can work. 40K, okay. Star Wars, eh, you're, you're, you're tipping it. This is like, okay, we've got... Uh, I'm it's saying I'm saying that movie is bad for a number of reasons. I don't think the choice to make it about aliens is one of them, personally. I don't know. My main issue, and I will, will leave from here, is Crystal Skull isn't good, not just because it's aliens 
and uh, historic, you know, but also because of all the fucking baggage that comes with the idea of crystal skulls and conspiracy mm. theory and that. Now that I will thing. accept, I will accept that external factors about basically ancient aliens being a kind of a racist <laughs> explanation for things, right? Uh, which is another reason why I make it in my brain similar to Temple of Doom, honestly. So, no, yeah, honestly, my my take on like the Chris, the alienness of crystal skull. I don't think they did enough. Like, I think they should have pushed into the, like, 1930s pulp alien event. Like, like uh, John Carter of Mars. Yeah. John, no, John Carter of Mars. Or like, that, they should yeah. have They should have tapped that kind of feeling for the finale. Because, again, like, there's just enough magic in the universe of Indiana Jones for you to have a little bit right at the end of your movie. And if they would have, I think if they would have gone deeper into it, like a portal that walks them into another dimension or, you know, just actually go alien with it, it would have paid off better. What ends up hurting it is like the CGI for for it Massive. is not great. And, and normally that, I don't complain about CGI, but when it's that no. egregious, it's... Well, and, and it hurts because everything about Indiana Jones at that point had been practical. So, like, we have a really, like, practical expectation. And the fact that they, there's no, like, practicality even added into it. They are fully CGI renderings. Yeah. That That's where it goes, oh, damn, this looks like a cartoon. In, in, like, like, what if Looney Tunes had popped into the it's Indiana Jones series? It's essentially a G.I. Joe thing. <laughs> yeah, it, it feels just as likely. So I think that's what really... If they had done practical aliens, I think we would have had a very different feeling about the end of the film. You know, yeah, I, I that's, agree. That's where this one doesn't really work. Is you go back and you watch Raiders, Temple of Doom, Last Crusade. Yes, they are all of that era, but they're the, the the real sets, the real locations, all that tie it together. And then you get to Crystal Skull, and it's like, well, not only is it cleaner, but it doesn't feel like we're in a world anymore. It very much feels like this was shot on a soundstage. Yep. And yep. also, I I don't think that Indy has to fight Nazis by any means. Although I think it's best when he does fight Nazis. But the Russians in Skull don't have the same menace inherent to them that the Nazis in One and Three had. Yeah, they, they feel kind of ineffectual and weak. Honestly, well, there's a there's an urgency to what Hitler wants, you know, right? Like, like that's that's happening right now, whereas there's no urgency to the Russians. It's like, oh, the, the, like, we know this, the Cold War doesn't really pay off to anything violent, so they it's hard to, like, turn them into, like, full bad guys like that. Yeah, and then on a, another thing that I think is, gets lost in the critique somewhat, I think Shia LaBeouf half works. Honestly. Oh, I, I'm never mad at Shia LaBeouf in this movie. Yeah, honestly. It, no, I have no problem with his performance. It's the fact that, and I don't know how to phrase this properly, if he wasn't supposed to be Indy's kid, if he was just someone else along for the ride, I feel like it would be a lot more effective. Instead, yeah. it feels like the movie is trying to preemptively force you to be like, this is going to be the new Indy. If there just wasn't that layer to it, I think it would come off a lot better. And I understand what they were going for. Like, with Indy and his dad in that relationship, his dad is kind of futzy, like we were saying, right? With his, with Shia LaBeouf's character, um, 
we we know he can handle himself in a fight so he it lends him into these action sequences so it looks like a torch pass but they were actually just trying to highlight the difference like these guys get along because they both like the action but then they have a, a riff otherwise Indy and his dad actually want to get along, but then they have a riff when they get into the action. So they're trying to show you the like generational opposites, but then it just looks like a, a torch pass with that. Because I agree, Axel, like if it's not his kid, then I almost want there to be a torch pass. But because it's his kid, it's like, oh, come on, really? Like, all right. Yeah. And then and- big elephant in the room for Crystal Skull that Ulrich alluded to earlier, the atom bomb sequence which I think <laughs> already fine. ties into what we said earlier. I think the concept of it is actually fine. This is a pulp story. I can suspend my disbelief yeah. that the situation would, even though it would obviously kill him, Indy's basically a superhero. So it's it's that it's ridiculous looking. It's not practical. It yeah. is a weird place in the movie. that The scene doesn't work, and it's so just meme bait at that point. So yeah, It's over the top in the back. I, I actually have a different read on why we don't like that scene, and it's not, the nuke is not the problem. Um, they... W- we I think we all subconsciously understand that they messed up what the getaway should have been when they showed us the rocket car earlier that he beats the the guy up on. That's how he should have got away from the nuke. He should have been on like a rocket car to speed away instead of being launched through the air and splattering when he hit the ground. Like our brains can't accept the the fall aspect of it and we were ready to buy in with the rocket car. So I think the the scene could have been executed differently if they would have just reused their prop from earlier but that's i accept that that, that's my take yeah well it also kind of highlights the bigger issue that hangs over crystal skull and 100 looms over dial of destiny oh no harrison ford is old yeah and it's not as believable or as fun to watch this man do these stunts because our brains are like no no he's going to hurt himself right he can't do these things anymore and the refrigerator just kind of puts that front and center it's like 30 something indiana jones would be lucky to survive that 60 year old indiana jones sure as hell is not going to survive that right so so to me the the indiana fridge thing has been memed to death i think it is a failing scene for reasons that get lost in the joke yeah yeah it's a great it's it's a great set like the the 50s nuke theme setup like it's a great idea like the ideas on display in this movie are all really there i just don't think they're quite as um they're not quite as in focus within the story in the way that like raiders and crusade pull off like the the focus on the story and the action feeding into each other well another important thing why crystal skull doesn't work for me personally indy harrison ford is a great leading man but he doesn't carry the movies by himself in that's right in raiders marion is a wonderful supporting character i adore her. And even in Crusade, Elsa is super interesting, despite, you know, her, her turn, actually partly because of her turn, but all, and also the yeah. relationship with his dad. Like, she's a, they're both memorable, great supporting characters, arguably additional leads. And yet, I don't remember the name of the girl from Temple. I don't, I don't remember the name of the girl for the Russian girl from, uh, who's a big deal in Crusade. I know Marion also shows back up, but they're. Oh, Kate Blanchett's character? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, so their their role or their impact on the movie doesn't feel there. 
like mm. at all. Yeah. Or wait, was Marion? Am I am I Mandela affecting myself there? I, I know because Marion's yeah. going to be in the Dial of Destiny. Was she in? No, she was in this one because it ends with her and Indy getting married. Which that's is right. Yeah. That's right. Okay. okay. That that works. It's just the parts of this movie that don't work so outweigh the parts that yeah. do work. But my, my point, think... what I'm saying there is that the the female lead in the two really great Indiana movies are very good. And then in the other ones, less so, and I don't think that's coincidence. No, yeah, you can tell by how much time they invested into writing out each character in each one. Yeah, now this is kind of interesting because it does raise the question of, like, does Spielberg and Lucas still have it at this point? And Are, were they were they were they story at all on the new one? Uh, I, uh, Dial of Destiny. Yeah, on Dial. I uh, have no. I think I don't think so. I think they might have given no. consulting. But Chris no, is yeah, no. To look at. I, I'm I'm very interested to see what's going to happen with Dial. Like I, I know oh. the re- reactions have been. I, I don't even know if I want to talk about the place. Well, again, yeah, the yeah. reactions I've seen are mid. Like, I'm yeah. not seeing this level of outrage I saw with Skull, but I'm not seeing, like, oh, back to form, you know, praise because either. Because it never was going to be. So let, let's go ahead and dive into Dial of Destiny and the franchise overall and all of us and franchise energy that, much like Lord of the Rings, can't, you're never going to get back to. You're never going to top because there were so many looks going into it that made it work. Well, here's mm-hmm. the thing. I'm not, I don't fully agree. And, and here's what I mean by that. Um, there are movies that we've seen that should not have been able to do that, but did. Hell, the last time we talked in this exact format with this group, we talked about Mad Max. And Fury Road is the best movie in that franchise. And that came out decades after the last one before it. But there's a but, lot of other factors. Yes, but that's what I'm getting to. I think that Dial Destiny is probably okay from what I've heard. But if you want to really get the feeling of the Indiana Jones pulp story i think we need to let harrison ford stop doing it <laughs> yes, that, just... that is kind of where i'm at like what are we getting from having what is he 87 now yeah and Ooh. i don't want and, and be old clear. harrison ford played this character what are we getting yeah and be clear just because harrison Ford's old doesn't mean he can't still act i actually really liked him in the 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 sequel trilogy despite other problems with those movies of star wars i thought old han was very good but oh yeah dude he's on this show shrinking on uh, apple tv he's so good yeah he, he, i couldn't get into that but but, I'm give that but indiana specifically that that pulp adventure vibe which doesn't have to be like constrained to any particular time period necessarily or any particular enemy it's not limited by these details but the the you know like you know what movie recently got the same kind of vibe uh that that disney flick uh, strange world like it wasn't yeah. nearly as yeah. good. Strange World did feel a little Indiana Jonesy. Yeah, like it wasn't quite that as was a fun it, movie, just marketed for shit. Yeah, exactly. And it wasn't anywhere as good as Raiders of Crusade, but it had the vibe down, and it's, yeah, it changed. It changed a lot of things from what you normally expect from those kind of pulp stories. That's why I'm like, all right, I don't, I haven't heard your specific pitch, Seth. I apologize for not listening to that episode, but you get Keiki, you get Keiki Kwan to basically be his own man, who you know he maybe he has some memoir from Indy, but he's still doing his own thing, so the connection is loose, and you let him go on an adventure in a whole nother culture, but you treat it respectfully this time. So, you know, I think we could reach the high of Raiders and Crusade, but it wouldn't be the same thing, and trying to recapture the exact same thing is, I think, where the problem lies that you're trying to get at, Auric. Well, and, and like, the a big question out of, like, any kind of 
future Indiana Jones adaptation is like my do you under I, I, my question for like Dial of Destiny specifically I guess is does James Mangold understand that these are action adventure and not fight movies like this is not John Wick your way out of situations don't present me with like a room full of bad guys to dispel that's for the end of the movie that like the the big fight the fisticuffs is the is the end of the movie and like there's a specific kind of thing that we're looking as an audience for and it is these like these kind of larger than life set piece scenarios dropping out of an airplane uh in a in a boat you know like the we're we're looking for that as well as the, like the action and the adventure and the heart and the comedy and i think that's crystal skull just kind of felt flat overall like it didn't really want to do any of that stuff again and so I, yeah i'm in the same boat like get harrison ford out of there get somebody new in there that we can kind of beat up and throw around a little bit again like let's that's what you need let's, well let's i think bouncing you... jumps off of a car you know like yeah you the... landed on a really important part which is an adventure movie is not the same thing as an action movie it has action right. in it but it's still a different thing indiana yeah. has as a character, has more in common with someone like Link, who's a puzzle solver, than he does with someone like, you know, Cloud or, or right. Salt Snake or something. You know who I'd love to see take a crack at an Indiana Jones type story? The people that did the new Dungeons and Dragons movie. That, sure. Like, that, 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 that kind of, okay. I think they would, need to, they would need to be reeled in a little bit, because I love that movie. I fucking love that movie. But it, the energy would have to change a little bit. But I get oh, where sure. you're coming from. No, yeah, totally. No. I just I, that that was the first time in a theater lately that I've been like, oh, I'm not just watching fight scenes. I'm watching action sequences. This is so fun. Like I, I just I was giddy by the time you get to that one with the changeling as she's running through. Like I was giddy. I was like, oh, she's not gonna fight her way out. She's gonna run. This is so fun. Yeah. Well, again, Indy's not a fighter. You look at his like he he's capable of fighting that to beat up mooks, but. He's not a martial artist. He's not even like right. a boxer, really. He just kind of lumbers his way through it and gets lucky most of the time. Right. He's a brawler at best. And again, he's a professor. This isn't what he wants to be doing. He does this because, again, he's a pulp action hero. But yeah. the big thing is, no, I agree. We got to get Harrison Ford out. And the problem is Harrison Ford, this is the last role he truly loves. And he won't let it go. But it needs to do. I just, I don't, I want to like, I think Dial Destiny is going to be good. We've got Nazis back. Fun fact, the villain is an actual historical Nazi that did work for uh, NASA. Mm -hmm. So that's a fun little tidbit. Interesting. Anyways, uh, Werner Von Braun, look him up, was a whole bunch of nasty shit. But hey, we needed to get to the moon before the Soviets. Getting right. Yeah. And, I, and I'm not saying it's super easy to write a good adventure story because I think it's very easy to fall into trappings of an adventure mm. story because it's it's exactly the kind of genre that you look at the successful ones and you think like I could just copy the superficial aspects of it and yeah. like oh yeah. you know set it in the 1930s or 40s and and have like a foreign location and tombs and and have artifacts and arcane like writings and stuff it's like no all that is good fun aesthetic trappings but I think that adventure stories have more in common with probably mystery stories like things mm, like yeah. Agatha Christie than they actually do with like action or sci-fi or fantasy straight. And you have to have that vibe of like, we are solving the adventure with the adventurer. 
the the reason why these adventure stories work is they're operating every scene on two levels you have a physical problem to solve whether that is bad guys in your way or booby traps in a in an ancient back room you know you have a physical problem to be solved and all the characters involved have problems with each other that are needing to be solved as well that drives that like personal heartfelt dialogue along with the plot moving forward they're feeding into each other the the very opening of raiders the first thing we learn is that indiana jones is at odds with the person that is in danger with him that's that's such an interesting second level that every action scene from there operates on now we've got friends involved as you move through the movie the, the friends have issues with each other indiana jones and marion are not on good terms starting off so and that and helen leads- it builds up to a betrayal sorry i just realized that as you were saying that like it it sets up the betrayal that happens at the end of the movie in the first scene exactly exactly like like the all of this is emotional storytelling problem solving on top of physical real world problem solving with characters that like are being built by that problem solving we're learning about for as much as you want to shit on willie as a character and i get it she's annoying um we're learning so much about her as she's just rattling off in indiana jones ear while he's trying to figure out a, a literal life or death situation problem you know like i love that that interplay and that that that's what really pushes these movies that by the end when they're in real genuine danger you're like oh this is a whole ass person that i've gotten to know and watch them solve their problems and, and get over their differences and have you know like these life or de- and and that's part of the the feeling too is that like a life or death situation really changes how you feel about somebody when you go through it that's a real world thing that we've all felt before, right? You and your buddies almost get, you know, attacked by a pack of dogs together. That's something you're going to immediately after have a big emotional rush over of like, wow, we all survived that despite our differences, despite, you know, if we're arguing about who is cheating in, in a WWE Nintendo 64 game, we can figure that out because we survived those dogs. And that's a, a feeling the Indiana Jones movies gives us just on a huge blockbuster display. And if you don't have that, you don't have an adventure movie. That That's my thesis. And you know what? I may have other things that I could say, but I want to leave it there because I think that Seth's thesis is a good way to, to conclude. Yeah, there's no topic. Seth, you closed this out perfectly. Boom! Well then, uh, as a thank you for coming on and talking with us and sharing your insight into the this franchise, the good, the bad, the franchise, we now pull out the special box that you get to stand on and plug anything you want to plug to the listeners. Well, I appreciate that. I'm going to uh, plug my podcast platform because we're uh, we're trying to grow in tandem with y'all and and some of the other podcasts that we work with. Um, we've we're we're switching to video. That's our big announcement. That's my big plug. We are moving on to YouTube and TikTok and and video platforms as well as keeping our podcasts going. So, audio listeners, no no betrayal. I promise, nothing <laughs> changes. Um, you just want you, to make more work for yourself. Fuck. Well, we we figured out a way to do it uh, through OBS, and um, we're just kind of on a on a really good kind of grind getting our clips out. So the, all I really have to plug is the Jaguar Sharks link tree. Um, if you go to link tree and and search Jaguar Sharks, you can find all of our stuff. It's got all of our socials. It's got all of our shows. It's got all of our streaming platform or our major streaming platforms. So everything's linked out in our Jaguar Sharks link tree. Um, we, I, I'll, I'll spoil it. I'm gonna like Dial of Destiny because all I need it to be is a six, and I'll be happy. So, uh, oh, for any new spoilers listeners. for our re- review. 
Yeah, just in case there's any new listeners, make sure to name your thing they're looking for there, too. <laughs> N- name what? Like your podcast, podcast and yeah. stuff, because you just said where to find it. You got to name what it is for anyone who's oh, new and doesn't the, know who you the, are. The network is Jaguar Sharks. All the shows are, are under that, so they're all under one umbrella. Oh, I, Okay. It, it might it might make it on a film rescue. It might make it on a two whatevers. But all you have to follow is Jaguar Sharks. It is all under that roof. I'm just interested what Jaguar Sharks is. Okay, I'll take it. <laughs> yeah. Well, I look forward to all of us having a chat at the very least in text about Dial of Destiny. I will try to see it when I can. I I know that this upcoming week I'm going on vacation to visit Wretched, so we're probably going to go see Flash after drinking. I don't know what else we're going to see. <laughs> Have fun with that. Wretched is the biggest fan of the Flash in comics, so we're pretty sure he's going to hate it. Hence why we're going to get drunk first. <laughs> Good plan. Good plan. Anyway, at this point, we move into something called Suggestions of the Week. I don't know why I'm saying something called. If you're listening to this, you probably know what we do. But hey, maybe this is the first thing you've ever listened to. Anyway, I'm trying to be a, yeah, I'm trying to be an open like host. At this point... We suggest something, it doesn't have to be related to our conversation, just something we've been into recently that you know we can share with the, the listeners. I'll start, which is, I'm going to suggest Street Fighter Six, which I feel like I don't have to talk too much about because it's fucking Street Fighter, but, yeah. but I will say, for anyone out there who's like, ever thought, hey, those characters look cool, but I suck at fighting games, one of the main selling points of Street Fighter Six is something called modern controls that you can set and basically I control your character. Yeah, it basically lets you control your character like a Smash character, where you can use the specials by just doing a direction and a button instead of having to do complicated inputs. I don't personally use them because I'm an old, I, I play Street Fighter from before, but I love their inclusion. I love that it allows people to play who otherwise wouldn't be able to play. Yeah. And so, it, you know, if this is one of the best games ever to try to get you into fighting games. And it's got a wonderful single-player mode. Not all fighting games can say that. And right. So, yeah, I highly recommend it. Hell yeah, nice recommend. I might I might have to check that out. I, uh, I, I'm great at Smash. I'm very bad at Street Fighter. But you're pitching me something that I might be able to get good at. Yeah, no, exactly. Anyway, Ulrich, let's do your suggestion next. Uh, I am going to pitch an awesome little series on Netflix. This is a sequel series. If you recall, I said it's warped. Tell on the dotted line. This is called The World Can't Tear Me Down. Um, I don't even know how to begin to describing this one, so I'll do my best. It is an animated series based on an Italian comic about the author's semi-biographical life. Uh, Tell on the dotted line was a great, very depressing little one. This is a fun one. Basically, the story is Zero, our main character, gets arrested at the start of the story for attending a Nazi counter-protest and works backwards from there, detailing all the events that led him up. And it really talks about not only the rising tide of fascism in Italy, which good to know we're not the only ones dealing with that, but trying to reconnect with a friend that he hasn't talked talk to in years and exploring the complexity of people. And if you've seen Tear Long Down Line, it's the same thing. It's a wide spectrum. It has one of the best explanations for punk that I think is I've ever seen. Mm. just like what punk is and why people would fall into punk and his personal experiences with punk that's cool. uh it's really the whole central thing is people are complicated as fuck and it sucks mm. where can you find this oh, this is on netflix and netflix. again watch you can watch this and tear along the line in an evening it's maybe four hours total oh wow 
Also, sidebar anyone listening, but in our Discord, we had a chat today about uh, applying the streaming wars to the pre-World War I powers, where Ulrich claimed that Netflix is the Ottoman Empire. And if any of that interests you, get in our Discord. We have conversations like that. It's cool stuff. Ooh. I stand by my statements. Yeah, I actually agree with a lot of the stuff Ulrich said. I think his, his analysis is pretty sound. Anyway, mm. Seth, do you have a suggestion for our listeners? Absolutely. Uh, you did a game. Ulrich did a series. I'll do a movie. Um, Ulrich already knows what I'm going to say. I am suggesting Mirrors. Um, ah. This is a... I, I, I want to expand on my tweet just for a half second. Um, I called it a 10 out of 10 uh, nuts and bolts horror film. And and to be, to be clear, Ulrich, I don't think the movie is a 10 out of 10. I just think that like as a presentation of a nuts and bolts ghost story horror mystery kind of movie that it is that's like the perfect example like that's the movie i would pass off as like this will actually scare you and has a little bit of a mystery and is just like going to be straightforward horror scenes cut to like the mystery like that that's the whole thing it's really nuts and bolts Kiefer sutherland goes all Jack Bauer at the end of it and takes a nun hostage. I totally <laughs> forgot about that. Oh, yeah, no, I always forget the end. I'm like, this is a really good movie. Why don't I like this more? And then I get to the end, I'm like, oh, because it totally flies off the rails. Oh, yeah, oh, yeah. Warning audience, the last 10 minutes of the movie are insane like a Conjuring film. Um, just cuckoo you're made, banana you're me bread. Flash, your description's giving me flashbacks to Barbarian. <laughs> it's Ooh. not even in this... It's it's dumber than Barbarian's ending. Oh okay. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Definitely dumber. Definitely. Like dumber. Barbarian at least has a one to one. Okay, I can see where you're going, and that's dumb. Mears is like, hello, I'm cocaine, and I'd like to work on your script. <laughs> yeah, he explodes and impales and blows up and crushes the villain in the finale. Like all, it takes all of that. Wow. Okay. It's like ninety percent of a really good movie. It just needs an ending. Oh, but the the, the it, all of the scares are based around mirrors, and mirror filmmaking is hard to do. So that's why I'm suggesting it. it I liked it in the yeah they did it in the Candyman reboot, which I thought was really good. Oh, oh yeah, the Candyman reboot is so good. I changed my suggestion. I, that's my new suggestion. <laughs> I'll take it. Well, anyway, one more time, thank you, Seth, for chatting with us. Thank you for having me on the show, gentlemen. I uh, always love talking about Indiana Jones. All right, Ulrich, take us in the outro. All right, well, thank you for listening. Be sure to like, share, subscribe, do all the things, because that is the life and death of podcasts. And if you don't do those things, then we will cease to exist. And those things. Out of the universe. Oh, I, I apologize for cutting off Ulrich as he was riffing a little bit. But all the things he mentions, which are all the various liking, commenting, and all that stuff, can be done, probably, on whatever platform you're listening to us on. We're also on a bunch of other platforms. I don't honestly know all the ones we're on, but we're on a bunch of them. And if we're not on one that you would like us to be on, tell us about it, and we'll see if we can make that happen, assuming that it's a fair deal. <laughs> As always, this has been Commander Ulrich. And his shield brother, Axel Wright. Be sure to tune in next time, and as always, stay honorable.